Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. You found Atomic Android Radio. Hello and welcome to In Universe. We talk the ins and outs of our favorite fictional universes. I'm Adam. I'm Andrew. And today we're talking D and D again. Uh, this time we're again. focused on again, again, yeah. Uh, this time focused on homebrew, and we'll probably touch on the uh, the OGL stuff, which I'm maybe you've already heard. Yeah, about. I could just with, with this one. We'll just call this one D and D homebrew instead of adding again each time we talk about D and D. Yeah. We we play D and D and talk about D and D a lot. Uh, we and, we'll and need it, titles for them. We will probably need titles for them. And as like uh, since we do play, we we talked about this with uh, Adam Carnavale. But we just pretty recently got into D and D, and now all of this stuff is happening with it. Um, yeah, so, we're a curse. We're a blight. It seems like it. It seems like we, it. We get into Pathfinder, they move into a shitty version of it. We get into D and D, they're gonna move into a a, a new thing, and uh, they're doing some pretty shitty stuff burn. with them. Yeah. Um, look, uh, we don't like Pathfinder two very much, but uh, especially with the wave of like, hey, we're gonna play other games since D and D's being dumb. Um, a lot of people are getting into it. Uh, yeah. Good luck to them. I hope they enjoy. It. Because I don't. Yeah. Um, look, uh, a lot of people are just done playing D&D, supposedly. Um, I already bought my books. Adam pirated his books. He's not paying anybody anyway. Uh, never so, was and never will. I don't know if I'll get any new ones, but um, I'll probably still play that. Well, yeah, that that's the other thing. And, and that's part of why um, the thought was that we would talk about homebrew. Uh, and uh, why Pathfinder was kind of on the mind, at least for me. Um, that's basically what they did when they made Pathfinder. They took mm-hmm. 3.5 and homebrewed the shit out of it and were like, all right, now it's Pathfinder. It's basically the same game after yeah. their second edition is not anymore. But that's what Pathfinder mm-hmm. 1E basically was. Uh, they took the original, and I don't think it was called the Open Games License at that time. It might have been, or it might have been something else. But they basically took that original uh legal document and used it to make pathfinder mm-hmm. um and there have been some people saying that uh if D refuses to back down on on this issue you could just do that again yeah there's a lot of people who's like oh then i'll just go and make my own system right, um, right. we were doing it before it was cool so well, yeah and ours that... is not connected to D <laughs> really much at all <laughs> uh but uh yeah if look just do that just if you want to change your halflings or whatever's to hobbits and 
Well, no, no, no. Then, then J.R.R. Tolkien's estate will sue you. Himself. J.R.R. <laughs> His ghost will come back. He's unhappy. I, I saw a tweet the other day, and it was like something to the effect, like, I never realized how much, how much of an asshole my oldest was until I heard them try and convince my four-year-old that J.R.R. Tolkien stands for Jolkin, Rolkin, Rolkin, Tolkien. <laughs> and it fucking destroyed me. <laughs> Making a little kid, like, a little kid who I guess is, like, smarter than most, because they at least have a concept of who J.R.R. Tolkien is and a reason to like that person. Enough for their and older sibling. Yeah, enough for their older sibling to be like, oh, yeah, this this super fucked up thing you're gonna think for a while uh here oh, it is. the first time they try to tell somebody that yeah they'll, they'll be in like their school's library talking to some they'll of their be friends. in fucking middle school and be like yeah. oh man i love joke and roll and roll and and then somebody, and like, will, be, somebody else will be like excuse me i'm sorry what the, what the fuck, fuck are you saying <laughs> it's it's fucked up yeah, um, that's J.R.L. Tolkien talk, um, our our monthly I, segment. Yeah, sure. Um, Tolkien but, talk with Tolkien talk with friends. Um, but yeah, like that's that's an option. Obviously, you could just make a whole new system. That's always been an option. But if you really just like Pathfinder Five E's rule set, you like the the classes and everything, you can just still use it. With mm-hmm. barely any changes, really. Yeah, I think most of what they have copyrighted is, like, names of shit. And it's not even, like, like you can't copyright wizard. You can't copyright yeah. You can't fighter. copyright the word fighter or the word wizard or paladin. Those, yeah, those words have existed before this game. Yeah, and it's like, they get, like, names of shit like Waterdeep and Vecna. Right, and right. Stuff that holder. you might never use in your own game anyway. Yeah, and you could just change it to fucking um, Shallow Pool and yeah. Skeletor and, and Eye Guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember, I think it was illegal eagle video he explained that um the way trademark and copyright works is you can copyright the the exact expression of your idea but the actual process i.e the rules of how to play D, you mm-hmm. can't copyright that yeah so no, you just can't you can just make 5e again call mm-hmm. it trailblazer call it whatever and walk out you're fine nobody can stop you even if you try to make money off of it, they can't really do anything about it. As it's long as, as you're not... Um, my new game, Hungos and Bungos. Ooh, I like Hungos it. Hungos are the heroes and Bungos are the bad guys. Yeah, I could have guessed that, actually. Indeed, could you have? I think I could have. I, 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 I don't know if I, I think you could have because it was mostly nonsense. Well, yeah, that's true. But, but I, I think Bungos sounds enough like... It's enough of a cognate with other words that mean bad. Like, I think I could have guessed it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, in the spirit of that, we're probably going to be talking about a few of the homebrew things we've created. Maybe uh, items, or at least I know what I have. I have some uh, subclasses I've been working on. Uh, did you want to go first, or, or shall I? Uh, you could go first. All right. Uh, mine's a little more in depth. Uh, I think we mentioned it in, I, I probably mentioned it in when we did Starfinder, because it's something that really bothered me. And it's that in Starfinder, their setting rules are hard to navigate around. Whereas mm-hmm. with, say, D&D, you're presented with a lot of archetypes and a lot of templates to kind of make your own things uh which is separate than if you're playing in, say, The Forgotten Realms or in Greyhawk. Yeah, uh, you can have a world outside of those, and it's really easy to take things from those other things and use them without having to do a ton of work around. Starfinder is not exactly like that, I would say. Uh, I think most of it kind of requires you play in their setting, at least. Yeah, it, or at least uh, keep some of like the big pieces of their setting and whatnot. right, right, in, in um, large swaths of your setting kind of has to be their setting for certain things to make sense mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily a problem i know um a lot of people wouldn't care or wouldn't even really notice but for me at least it, i found it a little limiting i found it a little restricting yeah um, 
And so I had done uh, a little bit of looking into uh, ways, like we were saying, we got into 5e, and, and I like that rule set. So I felt, looked into some kind of sci-fi themed 5e material. And uh, I know on your recommendation, I looked into Dark Matters, which yeah, has a lot of really cool stuff. That's what I've been looking into. Well, not lately, um, because I've been kind of taken into a bit of other stuff, like the Fallout RPG we mentioned a bit ago. Well, if for homebrew stuff, that's what I've been working on. Yeah, that makes homebrew. sense. <laughs> but uh, before that, when we were talking about finding new sci-fi systems and whatnot, uh, yeah, I found Dark Matter, and I was looking into that a good bit because that seemed exactly what you were looking for and kind of what I wanted, uh, where it's it's like hard enough to give you a skeleton, but vague enough to do whatever you want with that skeleton. Right, right. And I, I, I liked it quite a bit, but there were certain things that I didn't necessarily like a ton. Um, and it, it just also fell into, at least for me specifically, Still a little, and I think looking into it more, it's just the nature of sci-fi. Yeah, um, no, it definitely is. Like with fantasy, you have generic fantasy, but it's kind of hard to have generic sci-fi. Right, yeah, without... especially when you start talking about like alien species and Yeah, because you don't need a question a lot of magic stuff, but you kind of do need a question and give origin for a lot of sci-fi stuff. Right, right. And especially with, say, aliens, the planets they come from, the, the the machinery they create, that is going to be pretty setting specific. Mm -hmm. um, and like like in Dark Matters, there's, I'm forgetting their names now, but they're very Egyptian-themed, uh, like, bird people. Yeah. Um, and, like, all of their stuff is, is super um, magically oriented. It has a lot of that uh, Egyptian mythology built into it. And that's their home world. That's their technology. And it's just really hard to do anything with that. That isn't exactly what they did. Yeah, no, I, I think I just mainly was going to, because I kind of know what you're talking about. I like when I was looking into it, I didn't go too deep into it, but I was like, yeah, I could just do like an, like I can either take this and reflavor the Egyptian aspects, but I did kind of like them. So I could be like, yeah, if I'm doing, because I'm doing the future of a fantasy world, so I need a lot of that right, fantasy right. elements. And I think uh, Egyptian is like a cool aesthetic to go for for both futuristic and fantasy. Um, I get that. Like a yeah. bunch of things have done it before, like Banagarians and DC. Stargate, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I figured I was just going to, if I was going to use that, I wouldn't use it for a specific race of people, but more like a specific culture. I guess that. People. Um, kind of what, uh, what was it in D&D? Um, Radiant Citadel, uh, I think oh, it was yeah, called, yeah, yeah, where yeah. they take certain cultures and use it to inspire like more like fantastic elements. Of, so it's not just kind of the western western yeah european yeah, specifically so you do that with both sci-fi um and fantasy elements i thought egyptian was a good fit for that with sci-fi there's also stuff like there's a lot more of the like asian cultures get used in sci-fi too yeah there's and there's um, a lot of talk about that maybe not being the best thing a lot of orientalism that mm -hmm. uh hearkening back to that uh fear in the 80s that japan was going to kind of dominate the world market oh yeah it's, no, it's just a little bit racist yeah there's stuff but i i think it's mostly coming Not, from the place like with how techno technologically advanced and aesthetically someplace like tokyo is it's very easy to right like, yeah oh if if we're gonna evolve technologically they're gonna do it first I get that. It, it, um, it originally yeah. comes from Blade Runner. Yeah, like Blade Runner and stuff. And I do believe somebody uh, working on Blade Runner was talking to, uh, I think it was uh, Ridley Scott. And mm. They were walking around the city of, of Tokyo, and he was like, "We're lit. This is Blade Runner. Look around. It's the same thing." Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's. I think a lot of that is cool aesthetically, and I think it's sort of a mainstay of at least the cyberpunk genre. Um, I just think there's definitely, maybe we should listen to the people whose culture that is. 
Yeah, I think well, if we're it's, stealing it. Yeah, I think if it's like, oh, they've sort of taken over, like culturally, like they've kind of absorbed us and whatnot, and that being looked at, like, oh, that's a worry to like for something to right. happen. There's a difference between whatnot. the diversity of the area you're in, including things from Asian backgrounds, mm-hmm. and being a sort of either fetishization or like fear mongering of those Asian backgrounds yeah. encroaching onto your Western spaces. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of nuance there. Um, and I don't know if we're the people equipped to do it being a couple white guys. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, but yeah, at least when it comes to sci-fi settings, uh, it's hard to do one to exist in somebody else's and not broad strokes, just be theirs. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I, it was my my girlfriend. Uh, she gave me the idea. She said I should um, just make my own setting if I dislike those other ones so much. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, and it's a ton of work. Like, it's a lot of stuff that I don't need to do, but uh, it's fun. I like doing it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to complain. Um but yeah, so I've been working through my own uh, science fantasy setting because it is the future of my fantasy world. Um, so I have, and I'm currently about six out of the 13 uh, classes done making specifically sci-fi versions of those subclasses. They might still yeah. have magic, they might not. But these ones I wanted to specifically be like, yeah, you can only kind of play these in a sci-fi setting. Yeah, no. Nah. Um, so I've been doing that. I've been making, uh, alien races. Uh, I currently have three different systems that are sort of different from each other. Uh, I kind of have some broad stroke stuff that goes across the entire setting just to, to make things a little easier. So you're not dealing with a bunch of little systems. Uh, so I have like a broad strokes, like this is the net. It's essentially, uh, the internet, but uh, like the ethereal plane, like stuff exists there and you mm-hmm. can dip in and out of it if you really, if you have the ability to. Uh, it is like a physical place that just happens to be where this version of, say, the internet kind of exists. Yeah. Um, like and, um, how they use the internet in Futurama. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there's, you know, cybernetics, blah, 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 blah. And the way I made each subclass is I kind of wanted this subclass to focus on one aspect of this new setting of the sci-fi sci-fi setting uh, in particular, so that when playing it, you would get the most out of that part. So you can kind of get a a a um, an on-ramp, say, to the broader idea. Mm-hmm. Of that. So, like, uh, I have a subclass I wrote called the way of the cybernetic soul monk uh which is like all about cybernetics you pick this subclass and you will get a ton of cybernetics you get um because cybernetics are separate and stuff that you like buy the actual subclass doesn't just give them to you that gives you stuff that you can do on top of them so like you can spend key points as charges for certain things uh you can use them to upgrade your weaponry to be able to you know, you can swing a sword a lot harder if you got cybernetic arms, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one's to be like, yeah, if you play this class, you'll get the full scope of what cybernetics are capable of. And then you can take that to another class if you ever play again. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a good idea for... Because, like, with your own um, setting and everything, there's no really touchstones someone can use. Exactly, um, exactly. Um, which that was like my main thing with uh, Starfinder that I like because I liked to mess around with my own setting and everything and like put my own thing but my main thing was I for alien races I need something someone can reference to so they Mm -hmm. just have any idea of what uh, I'm even talking about so that's one thing I liked about Starfinder was that I was totally fine with using their alien races, making so many different alien races and whatnot. And all of them were playable. Like, well, not all of them, but like, but a ton of like them a were, majority yeah. of them were a, a crazy amount were playable races. You can actually play. Um, so that, that I think that's one of the, like the strongest benefits. I'll of agree. Starfinder, yeah. So I, 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 I definitely have far fewer playable races just because mm-hmm. I'm, 
the only one working on this. Yeah, um, no, I think Starfinder is kind of the only one with that many and that variety. When you look at other like sci-fi systems, unless it's from yeah. like, an established canon like Star Trek or Star Wars, it's mainly like, oh, he has like at most 20 like aliens. Right, right. Which, Which like yeah. if if you want like a setting that's more um what's the word condensed, I guess. Um, where you don't it's more like, oh, this is like a small solar system, not a massive universe. Right. Um, and um, and if you want a setting that's and this is what I was kind of going for, um, you can easily place like once you see an alien and you exist in that world, you would know where they're from. You would know mm -hmm. like what their kind of deal is at least a little bit, as opposed to say walking into like the cantina and there's just so many different aliens that they're the universe must be just teeming with life. Yeah, no, which it, one way I wouldn't say is not. Than, yeah, it's know, not better. It's no, just a preference. It's a preference thing, exactly. Um, and the, both of them have their strengths. There's definitely a lot of fun to be had just in like going through a whole crowd shot and it's like yeah these are each different person is a different race they each do a different thing mm -hmm. but um i will say the amount of races to choose from becomes at least for me and some of the people i played with more of a hindrance than a benefit mm -hmm. at least what i've and it happens in regular D D too there are already so many different races that are all supposed yeah, to coexist no. in the same planet mm -hmm. It, that yeah that's a big issue in something like that so what i usually do is because i used to be like oh yeah just choose any race or class or whatever um but now with newer people i go okay what is some what is like sort of the idea of what right. you want to be and then narrow down the choices from there where they're like oh i want to be a big like strong guy and it's like okay then you're probably looking at either fighter barbarian or monk and then maybe paladin yeah maybe paladin um and then like once they choose like gameplay wise or you do the reverse order you're like okay now there's these races like goliath orc like you just kind of talk to them first then you can narrow down the choices right, them. right and that helps so much with uh when you're kind of overwhelmed with choices mm -hmm. um which is something i really didn't do before and um <laughs> It, it kind of bogged down the experience. Yeah, it, it really can. D&D or RPGs. And, and yeah, it kind of comes to a thing where it's like, this one planet has like an abundance of races. Like there are so many races that are just from this one place. And that, that also kind of bothers me. So I've done a lot of work in like spreading out the races that are already in D&D onto other planes uh -huh. and stuff like that. So I've sort of separated it into there are three different systems. Uh, each system has their own whole set of races that mm -hmm. all kind of fit in with each other and with their world. So it doesn't feel like there's any just like hodgepodge. Like, why does this cat person exist here? What makes them different than a tabaxi? Mm -hmm. um, and I've also done a lot of trying to limit the amount of redundancy, I would say. Much like... Uh, Starfinder had, as one of its core races, Vex, which are these big lizard people. Um, but, uh, and I was talking to my girlfriend about it because uh, she really likes dragons. Uh, there's not a ton of difference between a Vex, a Dragonborn. Uh, there was another type of big dragon person in Starfinder. Mm -hmm. uh, there's yeah, just not dragonkin. a lot of, yeah, dragonkin, lizard folk. And like, that's redundant. There's too many. Yeah, I personally liked it because it made it feel like it, there's like so many different just human-esque people, like humanoids, where if you take something different, like a lizard, where it's like, yeah, it makes sense. If there's this many humans, there'd be a lot more variations on a creature like a lizard or whatever. So personally, I did like that, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I get if you're making your own setting and you kind of want to keep... Um, you want to be able to understand your own thing and make it easy for new players who don't have like a card to be like, okay, this is this kind of lizard guy, or this is this right, kind of right. lizard guy. You want it much more simpler, like track they can follow, which that right. makes a lot of sense. And then um, a big thing was making sure that, because uh, like I've worked in my setting, at least my regular D&D &D setting, 
to try to make the different origins of the different races make a little more sense. So that mm-hmm. way there's not just orcs running around, uh, also elves and humans. They can all interbreed, but they're also different things. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I That bothers yeah. me a little bit. That's that's mostly what I've been doing with my D&D world is like I touched on the sci-fi a little bit when we started talking about um, how we would change the sci-fi and whatnot and looked into it. But I've mostly been working on the other end of the spectrum, the beginning of the world. And I, I was like, OK, how would it make sense that all of these like races and people can sort of like come from and be like exist in the same world but also have them be distinct enough to be their own thing Um, right so i've been doing a lot of that work um i probably won't get into it but it mostly stems from like they all have a shared ancestor that some outside forces decide to fuck around with Mm -hmm. Um, that's fair uh yeah i've done a similar thing where it's like yeah uh, elves and humans are similar, but elves are specifically descended from actual fae creatures and fairies, mm-hmm. uh, whereas like orcs were created as basically disposable soldiers in a, a long ancient war, uh, all of that kind of thing. Um, and so I wanted to do something similar in these other systems. Uh, so I, I've, I've done a lot of work into that. One of them that I like a lot is uh, what I call the ring system to differentiate it from just like another solar system. It's a big uh, like Niven ring or a, like a Dyson sphere kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've used them as sort of a, a way to flip the things that are normal in say the regular fantasy setting future and this setting there. It kind of takes the the opposite tract of them. Yeah, no, that's technology fair. is a lot more prevalent and magic is sort of the new kid on the block, which is different for the other setting um uh all the races are are kind of flips uh, i take one type of creature and the other type and i swap where they would be in that environment so like i took fey and constructs and i flipped them so the elf equivalents are you know these these essentially robots who exist on this ring and they were designed to be like monitors of the place to watch over it um and then uh instead of creating like constructs say for the most part, they work with nature magic and make things out of it, biotechnology like that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Or uh, I liked, um, what is it? Gnomes are creatures descended from fey, magical creatures who love technology. So in this other s- setting, I have these little robot guys who love animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, just to kind of flip-flop the, those kind of archetypes. Yeah, it's, it's it really gives you a space to like, oh, play around with like the ideas of like what a fantasy sets like um what a fantasy sets out as like the archetypes and tropes and you're like okay well if i take this and sci-fi it up and then you get to spice it around a little um right you want to talk about some of the mechanics the homebrew mechanics you got with like the uh classes and stuff like that yeah i can i can get into that um a big one I have is the introduction of what I call scripts and programs. Scripts are just spells, but they're technological in nature. They work on things that are made from technology, people who have technology within them, and things that exist purely in the digital space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, programs are just creatures, but they are completely digital. They exist only on the net, uh, and they can only affect you if you have technology within you. Uh, So I've broken it down into three different tiers. Uh, Tier one, either creature or like system even. Very little technology. Like not no technology because like a sword is technology or whatever. Yeah. But like no like high technology. They're low tech Mm -hmm. place and they probably have a decent amount of magic. Then there's tier two, which is the combination of technology and magic. Neither one supersedes the other and they can kind of coexist there. And then there's tier three, which is high technology, which can make it hard for certain magics to exist with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've set it up so that a tier one, like say a player who is a tier one character, they're just a druid, no technology whatsoever. Uh, a program can't interact with them. So let's say you have a little digital like wolf. It can't hurt them, but they can't hurt it either. And there's kind of the, the balancing act. And there are certain things that they just can't do, get through certain doors that are locked and you need a digital passcode or a way to hack into it. 
Um, so there are benefits and drawbacks to how much technology you want in your character. Um, That's pretty cool. Uh, so for scripts is, is spells and lots of different classes get them because lots of different classes get spells. Um, but as for programs, I've created what I call the script kitty, which is a, a rogue subclass based on the real life term, a script kitty, which is somebody who hacks but doesn't actually know how to code. So they just use pre-created little hacking kits to do stuff. Um, and so that's sort of the idea behind this rogue archetype. They're uh, much like the arcane trickster gets a little bit of wizard magic. These guys get a little bit of sort of hacking where they get uh, some minor scripts, uh, which I've tentatively named scribbles as that's their version of cantrips. Um, and they that's get some minor scripts, uh, some like low level scripts. And then they also get uh, a companion program. Uh, and so they get to pick a creature of one-fourth CR or lower. That is just like their little buddy who exists on the mm -hmm. net and only on the net. As they go, uh, they can eventually get to the next uh, tier, the next feature of this class, where they can evolve it. So they can pick a new creature of the same type. So if you pick the beast, say you have like uh, a little owl as your companion. Uh, once you get to the evolution, you could pick, um, you know, well, this would be a different, whole different creature entirely, but you could pick a bear, uh, and then uh, it would evolve into it, and you would keep some aspects of your old one, so you could keep one of his special features. Say, for um, owls, I do believe they have uh, keen senses for sight. You could mm -hmm. keep that, but then you get the statistics of a bear. That's pretty And they cool. would kind of fuse, so you could get a kind of roundabout way to get an owl bear that way. Um, and then as you go, you get one more evolution uh, where you can do that again, but this time it can be of any other type. So say you take your owlbear and then you pick, say, a dragon, and now it has wings and can shoot fire or whatever. Um, That's all right. It's Is there capstone. any, like, class or anything that specifically focuses on, like, those, like, companion, animal companion? That is the rogue, those, yeah. yeah. Uh, That's the rogue? That's this rogue, the script oh, kitty. Okay. Their thing is getting those companions. Theirs mm -hmm. is the only companion that evolves with them. So uh, if I wanted like, to be like a Pokemon trainer with heaps of these little... You could, buy, you could be any class and just buy them. Oh, but okay. this one is one that specifically evolves over time. Kind of like a Digimon. Uh, okay, that's cool. Um, and then it's final, it's capstone ability is uh, what I call... A Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hard light emitter, which again, you could buy, but it's like an artifact level thing, um, which basically lets things that exist on the net also exist in real life. 
So now your big dragon owl bear is a real thing, like made of hard light. It's a real construct. It could attack that druid, no problem. That's pretty sweet. Um, which I think, yeah, I think that sounds fun. Uh, when I was telling my girlfriend about it, she said that that's her favorite so far. That's probably the mm -hmm. one she'll play. Yeah, um, well, she, yeah, that makes sense. She's a little companion free. Yeah, and I I liked it a lot because it works really well with the rogue who kind of needs a companion to get a lot of its better abilities. Like to get sneak yeah. attack off more often, you need somebody else going over there and fighting. Yeah, him. and like that uh, is I guess is to make good for party play right right but, but yeah. you do want some kind of option for mm -hmm. if you're alone yeah. rogue besides uh swashbuckler who who can do that kind of thing yeah but that was sort of the the idea behind it um there's a few others but that's the main one with programs uh one i really like probably my favorite so far is uh the fighter subclass armor jockey uh which is power armor themed they get power armor uh as when they first level up they get to pick a frame and there are like uh four different frames heavy accelerator combat and mage uh which do different things heavy is like a big yeah. tough frame basically makes you into a goliath if you aren't one already that's pretty uh, accelerator good. is is fast it lets you basically cast long strider on yourself uh or like constantly affected by long strider i forget which one uh and then combat is kind of really basic it's just like a it is the vanilla option mm -hmm. uh it lets you do a little bit more damage with unarmed strikes and you're basically constantly under the effect of mage armor and then mage uh lets you have a little bit of magic not much uh two cantrips and one first level spell but you do get a special ability called magical capacitor which means uh up to a maximum level of your current proficiency bonus, you can store attacking magic at you. So, like, if somebody oh, casts, cool. um, what's a first level spell? Guiding Bolt on you. Mm -hmm. uh, you can just cancel it out and absorb it as energy that you can store and use later. Yeah, I love doing that kind of shit in games. Uh, and then as you level up, you get, um, and these, like I said, the whole thing is to to branch out later, but uh, so anybody could buy these frames and, and use them, but you get one just for free, and mm -hmm. as you level up, you get access to upgrades. Normally, these upgrades are frame-specific, but you can mix and match to get custom power armor by the time you're done. So you could take a an accelerator frame and give it, like, the combat weapon mounts. You could take the mage frame and give it uh you know the the armor plating of the heavy mount kind of thing that's pretty cool um and then yeah you get there are two different tiers of level ups one at the next feature and then the one after that mm -hmm. and then the final one is um you get to go back and pick some more oh yeah uh, and then the other thing is, uh, and several of these, they give you just a pretty minor bonus, either some minor scripts or like this one, you get one bonus cybernetic slot. That's cool. But yeah, I've been, I've been having a lot of fun. I'm, like I said, I'm about halfway into making a subclass for each base class, including Artificer, uh, which is fun, but it's, it's a lot. Yeah, no, it, it's tons. Um, that's usually what I like with, um, homebrew is, uh um you when you focus on the stuff you do like the stuff you like keeps first um yeah. like mine i got like <laughs> six warlock ones um and then once you do that the rest of it sort of feels like work like homework you gotta do um, yeah so that kind of sucks um and... i've just been mine has been coming in ebbs and flows where i'll have an idea for one quickly <laughs> get all of the stuff i can down and then wait for inspiration to strike on another one before I go back to it. Oh, yeah, no. Um, yeah, and, like, that that kind of shit's, like, kind of a trap for me because I feel like I'll never get, like, inspiration for, like, a cleric or something. Cleric um, has been the one I've been dreading the most because yeah. it's the hardest to turn sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... I have, like... So for like a lot of my subclasses, I have one that's kind of like the same that goes across each class. Um, and that's the only one I have for cleric is oh, it's the same one as <laughs> it's all the, the other same ones. one. <laughs> um, yeah, that one's pretty cool. Um, for some of the subclasses I've been 
are working on, well, not have been working on, but I have, um, is uh, I have, so I kind of liked the idea of uh, legacy and um, because it's like a big part of a lot of the, what D&D is, is the idea of like heroism is like a yeah. big deal. So um, I took the, the adventurer um, economy. Yeah, I, I took um, each class and made a subclass based on that sort of idea, like a hero's legacy. So like, um, uh, like Warlock's got the Patreon of Patreon of a hero, where it's like the spirit of a uh, big Patreon. Um, the yeah, like the patron could be an old hero who's gotten yeah. very powerful. Um, so the paladins got um, heroes uh, oath of the hero, which is a similar theme to that. But then you got like sorcerer that has the heroic bloodline. Right, your dad like, was yeah, a powerful that, hero. Um, and then like the only cleric one I have is like the domain of the hero, um, and I barely put any work into that one at all. Um, so yeah, clerics are a big deal for me, but like, shit, I like like war, war, warlocks. I got like six of them of both packs and patrons, which mm -hmm. those are a lot of fun. Cause you get to do both. Um, I got like some cool stuff that like most of my D and D, um, homebrew stuff is I'll see an idea of that someone puts out online and be like, yeah, I'll make that for myself. Right. Um, yeah. I remember you did the, uh, both of them otherworldly patrons slime and beholder that you mm -hmm. found online but you you tweaked immensely yeah, they were I, basically I your own thing. yeah i found them online didn't like what they gave um and the, like tweaked heaps of them um and then uh because i was working on them at the time and um my cousin henrique who you were playing with wanted cool shit um i just basically threw both of those as options in there and both of you guys took both i think um yeah I, I i was able i set it up so you could have multiple patrons because of that um so that was pretty cool um and then you got like packs that i have a lot of fun working on or pack of the trigger is one of the first ones um that that's kind of where i started into homebrew where i was like what if D&D had magic guns? And I looked into it and a lot of people were like, yeah, it's cool for warlocks. You got packed to the blade, get a pack to the gun or whatever. Um, so I got that. Um, and then there's uh, pack to the deck, which I haven't got to use yet. Um, I, I've been putting a lot of work into, but having nobody's played it yet, but pack to the deck seems- That one sounds quite cool. Yeah, it sounds really cool. I want to find a way to- uh, include an actual deck of cards into the gameplay. That would be real fun. Yeah. Um, uh, and then using I think, some like Deadland that features or something. Maybe. Yeah, that's what I was gonna look into, like uh, some of the Deadland mechanics. Um, and then I think uh, last one I can like remember off the top of my head is Pact of the Face, which um, has to deal with multiple personalities, not like the disorder where like a lot of people just they're like oh look this is a cool thing this is like you got a soul of another guy yeah yeah inside yeah you. you might have I mean, several actual demons within you if your yeah, patron yeah. is the fiend and you have the pact of the of the face kind of thing yeah um which like maybe if that's really what your player wants to play where they're like yeah i have multiple personality or just let them why yeah yeah that they can do that it's fantasy and whatnot um you can do a lot with that without it being like, yeah, I'm this disease or whatever. This mental illness is what makes me cool. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the, that one um, I, I, I'm pretty excited for, uh, for a lot of the kids. So with a lot of the earlier stuff, it's like, oh, I switched this like um cantrip type from like this type of damage to this type of damage right. or whatever and then like later it's like oh i go f like wholly different fighting style like i could go from purely offense to full defense or like a mix of in between where you're actually like switching between two guys um which is like a trope uh i like to do a lot i like to do a lot with i f found out with like uh, Forms, multiple yeah. guys as like one guy like uh one of my homebrew weapons um i liked a lot where um it mostly came from 
me being like, I want to give you the benefits of your companion, but I'm dealing with so much other shit that I don't want to be like playing your companion. So uh, for your character, Chet Faker. Yeah, I recall um, this. This is great. Yeah, uh, I gave him him and his companion, who's a paladin named Paul uh, Don, uh, a sword, which they're each a sword with like a flat blade. And when both of them slam it together, it fuses into one big great sword and they fuse into like one big great guy, uh, which uh, I think would be a lot of fun for two players if um they use this item together and they both like kind of gotta like decide what to do together and whatnot yeah like Um, if they have extra attacks they could mm -hmm. each one do a different thing on the attack yeah um but it basically takes all your powers and abilities of those two people and puts it into one guy so with adam he got all he basically got to play as a paladin and a bard at the same time um, but like, I think it would be a fun role play thing for this item to, uh, to be in party play. Maybe if, maybe not more than like three people. Um, you know, like, I think if you're playing a th- game with two players, this would be great. Yeah, uh, but if you got three, if you got to leave a guy out, that's probably yeah, not if you the gotta, best. Like, if you got to leave a guy out, but he's cool with it, that's probably all right. But having you guys have to decide separately what you do together when like, there's also four other people having to deal yeah. with that probably wouldn't be great. Um, but Just yeah, give them multiple divide your players. <laughs> in half. Yeah. Each my players of six have become players of three. Um, but yeah. Uh, they just also have to argue. That's like a true. Yeah. You just grinding your combat to an absolute halt. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that's a trope I figured out I liked a lot. Um, and I like warlocks a lot, so I put a lot of work into them. Um, and then we were discussing earlier that, um, because I like warlocks a lot as a class, but for homebrew, they're particularly easy because they have basically a set template, yes. which um, we were talking about. Paladin has a very similar thing. So that's probably the second one I've put most into. Um, I have the Paladin of storm which is all like lightning and weather because that's just something i like heaps yeah Um, but there's one i like a good deal where it's um oath of the phoenix where it has to do with them so every time you die you kind of get weaker but you also get like a new ability so that's cool yeah so you don't want to die because like it i didn't want to make death not matter matter like you want to be worried about dying but dying's not necessarily the end for you and it's not all bad so like if if you're so if you're a player who loves to do the heroic sacrifice and make like a new character every time or like have to make a new character um i got a good middle ground for you (laughs) you get to do that and you're not necessarily throwing away a character um, but this is also something I figured would be useful for something we've used the warlock for now and then where we've had a character die and we're like, oh, like this seems like a bad spot for the character to die. So like a demon comes in and is like, oh, here's a deal. You could go back uh, and you just work for me now. Um, we've had that sort of thing happen a couple of times. So I was like, it'd be useful if I had this for something that's not evil. Yeah. Um, so I kind of did that for a paladin where you could die um in the afterlife, take up the oath of the phoenix and come back to life. Um, and then uh you get like a cool bunch of benefit. One thing I really like from that after the first time you die, you're counted as an undead creature. So anything oh, that, that is cool. affects undead affects you. <laughs> Your cleric so, friend doing turn yeah, undead I, and you I, having to run away. I, I I think paladins also could get turn undead. Uh, um, I think but uh, yeah, oath of devotion do, but uh, nobody else does. Yeah, but uh, your little Jesus friends or whatever, being like, oh, here's all my shit that affects undead. Um, you don't want to fight them anymore because <laughs> they'll probably kick your ass. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, that's something I like a lot. Yeah, uh, that sounds cool. One class I find the hardest to do homebrew for is fighter. Because I'm really? not, I'm not really sure how to do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. That doesn't make. I was gonna say, 
fighter is is easy i find because there's not one set way to do it you okay do whatever you want yeah that's that's where a lot of my confusion comes yeah but from. i can definitely see mm-hmm. that yeah um whereas with like fighter the difference between an eldritch knight and like uh a champion is night and day they might as well be yeah exactly classes. that's because like when i look at the subclasses that uh, like most of the other classes, is that through line where like, okay, this is sort of how they work, right, and right. this is Druid, how I tweak it. Druid subclasses use wild shape in a different way. Bard mm-hmm. subclasses use inspiration in a different way. Fighter subclasses do whatever. And this wasn't always going to be the way I was looking into it. In the original Unearthed Arcana 4 5e, um, the default fighter was going to basically be a battle master, and maneuvers would be what your subclass used in different ways yeah uh, but then they didn't like that people didn't like that i guess so they then just yeah made... i i get it i think battle master is probably one of the most interesting of the mm-hmm. fighters um i haven't really played much of it so i don't know but just like conceptually um but uh fighter is usually the one where it's You're like fighter and wizard yeah. where you get new players in and you're like okay these you shoot spells you hit things and like it's the easiest to go off of. And if Battle Master was kind of the default for that, it's a little um, more complicated. It, yeah. it makes it a bit more complicated. And this way they get to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. Now Battle Master just is an option, but Champion is the kind of default fighter thing mm-hmm. where, hey, don't worry about it. The thing you were doing at level one, you do that too. You just do it a little bit harder. You critically mm-hmm. succeed more often. That's. That's champion fighter. So yeah, a, um, yeah. Look, there's, cake eat too. there's nothing. Yeah, I, I I think I've played champion the most. So like, I'm not gonna diss it. Or no, I got no problem with champion. Um, Champion's fun. Yeah, but uh, it is yeah. pretty simple, especially for a multi class. So like, if you just want the benefits of a fighter, um, but you don't want to worry about it when you have a big list of spells or something. Yeah, you also got if, a you, champion. if you're already a wizard. And you're like, well, I don't need more spells from Elvish yeah, Knight. Champion's the way to go. Uh, I just want action surge. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I really like making um, fighter subclasses. I say I've only done it once. The other time <laughs> I tried to do it, uh, I stopped because it was I had no ideas for it. So maybe I don't really. I will say the one I have the most difficulty with is... Um, I would say warlock because there's a there's a pretty well defined template, but I find that it's difficult to do something that isn't already an option with mm-hmm. warlock because you get so many different invocations and spells, and there's already some overlap between like the fathomless and the great old one. Yeah, that I find making warlocks pretty difficult. It's one of the uh, four classes i've yet to even start yeah i've only got a name for them uh otherworldly patron the algorithm Mm because i thought that was funny yeah patron um is a bit more complicated if you don't really have an idea especially in a new setting like that if you don't really have an idea of what works as a patron and not Mm -hmm. even though like in D &D it's pretty vague and like i feel inconsistent which i I feel like I need to do some more hard work on what makes you able to like give people your power and shit mm-hmm. like that. Um, Cause like, I feel like there's a big difference between like a high demon Lord and just a vampire. Right. Um, right. Or, um, you know, uh, a powerful arch fay and a slime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah. So if you don't really have an idea for the Patreon, uh i could see that i think the packs are a lot more easy uh because you're just like oh this is how i want um the war magic to, to feel to yeah. like work um so i think especially with your sci-fi you probably want to po- focus on the pact first and then maybe focus on patrons yeah um, I'm, I'm, i'll probably end up doing that but as of right now i have like no ideas for packs yeah. packs don't come super easy to me mm-hmm. um because i think what I'm going for right now is still vague enough that two players could have the same type of patron, but not work for the same guy kind of thing. Like you could yeah. have two different players that are both packed of the fiend or patron of the fiend, 
and not be the same demon. Yeah, no, that's mostly how I want patrons to work. Like the the vampire one is supposed to be the first vampire. Right, that's from the Grim Hollow setting. Yeah, but I kind of look at it as more like a powerful vampire. Yeah, like so an arch you can, vampire or something. Yeah, or... so you can have different vampires. Although how my setting is sort of playing out with vampires and whatnot, I could have the first vampire be a thing later on, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I I don't I don't think that's how uh, patrons should be looked at. I don't think it should be like, oh, this is the one guy yeah. who's out there giving. To I you. I agree. Mm-hmm. I find that I've I've kind of put the spell casters off till the end. Just because yeah. they're the mo- there's probably some of the most complicated of the classes to do. Wizard's probably not too hard. Wizard um, is probably the one I'll start with when I go to those guys. Just sorcerer, you probably would be something like the bloodline of biotech or something. I've got um the nanite soul sorcerer. They yeah. have nano machine. They have nanite something in them. like that. Basically, generator Rex is what I'm planning to mm-hmm. do with those guys. Um, yeah, for wizards, I just have the school of magitech, which is combining technology yeah. and magic. Uh, cleric yeah, is the one yeah. I have the absolute hardest time with. I really just don't know what to do I, with them. I don't know about cleric, but yeah, wizards is kind of like, oh, here's some like flavor for what kind of wizard they are, and here's the kind of spells they're good at, and you're mostly good with wizard. Yeah. For um, these guys, I'm gonna just for these ones, I'm just going to give them all, like, basically all of the scripts, all of mm. the different technological based spell kind of stuff. Yeah, which, that's... I like the... The concept of the wizard is probably my favorite out of all of them. Um, but mechanically, I don't usually jive with the wizard all too much. Um, and I feel like that makes the wizard hardest for me to homebrew for i can see that because yeah. because it's i feel like there's not much to do with it other than like i feel like most of the wizard schools are just like a name and that's like the big deal is like oh this is the name of the first wizard or, or the school yeah, of the first they, wizard and they give you like some relatively minor stuff or because mm-hmm. they're they're not really balanced super well some pretty major stuff like the divination wizard the school of divination gives you two d20 rolls that you can do ahead of time and replace other people's yeah. stuff with, which is crazy strong and then like um the uh illusion one lets you cast like a pretty minor spell for free yeah it's wizards are hard for me to work with i, I can see that uh there are several other wizard stuff where it's like you, you kind of need a pretty specific idea of what to do with the wizard before you even start i'd say because mm-hmm. otherwise it's it's real difficult to just kind of make something up yeah no exactly uh the other ones i was working on uh one i like a lot uh was the college of the influencer bard which is basically uh you're a bard but also a youtuber which yeah, is fun okay. that's pretty good uh they get a little bit of the the technological magic stuff uh, but their main thing is they get a little camera drone that follows you around and will videotape you and also your party doing stuff. Uh, and then you get the ability to make money off of that, which I thought was fun. That's cool. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Over a short rest, you can basically do a stream and then mm-hmm. uh, you roll performance multiplied by your level and you can get some gold out of it. That's all right. Uh, and then their main thing is, and I kind of took inspiration from the cyberpunk class, I think it's the Rocker, where they're the bard in the cyberpunk setting, mm-hmm. uh, where their whole thing is influencing large crowds of people. Um, and I wanted to to make that broad enough that you could play two very different types of characters. So there's the basic kind of like punk rocker, cyberpunk thing, which works just fine with this. You can use it to... Um, you know, make a crowd riot or something. But, yeah. Uh, I like the idea of also playing this this type of bard as a, like, megacorp PR person. Oh, yeah, that'd be pretty good. Uh, so you, you walk around and you have all the same abilities, but you use them in a very different way. You can use your powers over a crowd 
to like make them like stop or uh to leave or disperse or something yeah my first thought of that when you were talking about it was like an alex jones type yeah that think? would be really fun <laughs> Where you basically convince a bunch of idiots to do <laughs> stuff you want. Um, yeah. That, that uh, might be pretty good if you like could do something with people's intelligence scores with convincing them. Because um, like if you, I feel like it's a lot easier to convince a bunch of idiots to start to riot or like whatever, um, rather than like people who have, uh, what, but why though? <laughs> yeah i've um, made it just that you can use mass suggestion mm-hmm, uh, yeah, spell which is based on your wisdom uh saving throw kind of thing yeah, uh, but yeah th- i might work in something and make it an intelligence saving throw instead because that's fun yeah well i guess wisdom makes more sense for yeah sort of thing like you don't need to be a smart Look smart to be like yeah. hey maybe i shouldn't listen to this guy yeah um because sometimes you think someone is smart until you realize who they listen to <laughs> hmm wonder who we're talking about who are you talking about my dad oh i'm talking about chido <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> that was just the first name to pop into my head um but yeah uh for some of the other ones uh i've got ranger which was also relatively difficult to work with for kind of different reasons. Ranger subclasses are either really dog shit or too strong. Yeah, rangers are pretty hard to work with too because of that. So it was a little difficult coming up with it. I call it uh, the operative, uh, and I've made them kind of the weapons-based guy. Mm-hmm. So at third level, they get a like iconic weapon, that is their weapon, and they can do certain mods to it that you can't really do on regular weapons. Like, take a revolver and chamber it for shotgun shells mm-hmm. or, or sniper rifle rounds, that kind of thing. Do you have anybody with, like, um, sort of a drone companion type thing? Because that seems like it'd work pretty well with the Ranger. That's true. I, I was trying to avoid just the drone guy um, from Starfinder. Yeah, but I feel like it with sci-fi RPGs, that'd be something a lot of people would look into. Like, yeah, be the kind of play style they'd want to go for. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have to just do straight up the drone um, guy from Starfinder. I forget which one it is in Starfinder, okay. but um, but yeah, uh, you maybe just uh companion based one and then they can go with oh i want the digital companion or i want an actual animal Hmm. or a drone type thing yeah Um, yeah, that's the other thing with this um all other subclasses for these classes are still on the table so if you just mm -hmm. wanted to play a a beast master and have a bear you still yeah Mm -hmm. Um, that's all right though as of right now they're the kind of weapon based class uh, I don't have one that's just a drone. I do have a class, the Artificer uh, subclass called the Mechanic, but I'm going to make them vehicle-based as opposed to drone-based. Yeah, no, that's probably a good idea, um, especially because vehicles will probably take a lot more of a like front row seat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in sci-fi. Um, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I, I like those classes. I like what you got going on. Um, that's probably all the time we have today, right? Yeah, I, I think we've we've gone for a little while now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been 15 minutes. Crazy. Short episode um, for you guys. But yeah, uh, I'll, maybe I'll update once I do some more of them. Probably not, because it's going to take me a while. Yeah. Um, um, look, if you got any homebrew and want to share it uh, while we can do it, <laughs> <laughs> um, let us know. Um, I'm always interested in stealing people's ideas. <laughs> if you have any um, ideas that would sound good in my setting specifically or other kind of technological-based subclasses, I'm more than happy yeah. to listen to if them. If there's any other like um, D&D settings like um, the Cyberpunk or Dark Matter, that he could use ideas from. That's probably not a bad yeah, idea I'd to shoot to our it. way. Uh, and you can do that at our email at theatomicemail at gmail.com. 
or our social media like our instagram like um of <laughs> 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 um, our atomic android 2020 or our twitter at atomic androids uh um, thanks for listening and we'll see you guys next week but bye bye bongos Hello and welcome to In Universe. <laughs> Why? Why? I saw I... you lean back like you were fucking prepping it. No, I was taking a deep breath in and then the breath got caught in like my chest. And then I was like, I can't breathe out. And I try to force the breath out and <laughs> then I cough. Alright, take two. That could be the end card. Yeah, now it's probably gonna be. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.